Then Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. People in our world today have different opinions about who Jesus is. And even more scary thought is not only do the people in the world have different opinions about who Jesus is, but even people that are so-called Christians. There was a survey done in 2020 that revealed that 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was just a great teacher. For the evangelicals, 30% of them would say that he was just a good teacher. Also, with the evangelicals, as many as 65% of them would agree with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. The title for the sermon today is, Whom Do You Say That I Am? This title is taken from Matthew 16, the question that Jesus asked his disciples. This question is a question not only for Jesus' disciples to answer, but also one that we need to answer as well. Whom do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a good person? Or maybe to you he is a good teacher, that can teach many valuable lessons. Or maybe he is one of the prophets to you, one who is a spokesperson to God, one who proclaims his word to the people. Maybe to you, he is just one who performs miracles, heals the sick, raises people from the dead, feeds many people with a small lunch, has control of the wind and the waves. If we answer this question wrong, if we have a wrong view of Jesus, then we believe in a false doctrine. The way that we answer this question will have an effect on our eternal destination. Whom do you say that Jesus is? Just a little background of the story here in Matthew 16. This story comes at a certain time where Jesus... Um, ministry, a certain part of his mini ministry is coming to an end. The ministry where Jesus is going around evangelizing and also healing all those who are oppressed with the devil, that ministry is coming to an end. The time in Jesus' life where he needs to suffer and die has come, and we can see that later on in the chapter. 
he, he heads towards Jerusalem. Uh, in, in Luke 9, in Luke's account of this story, it says that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would die for all mankind. We can see in the first couple chapters of Matthew that Jesus has been rejected by his very own people. Jesus takes his disciples to the, to the coast of Caesarea Philippi or to the country of Caesarea Philippi. This is a place that is located about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. This was a place that was away from the place of Jesus' ministry and was in a place of Gentile territory. He was at a place where he was alone with his disciples. And it was here where he wanted to spend time in prayer away from the crowds, according to Luke. So Jesus questions to his disciples. Jesus' first question was, Whom do men say that I am? What are the people saying about me? What are you hearing? Jesus wanted to know the public's opinion about him, or even so that his disciples could see what the people thought about who Jesus was. I think this question was an introduction to the real question that he wanted to ask them, which was the most important question. So why did Jesus ask these questions to his disciples? It is not that Jesus didn't know who he was. He wanted to see if the disciples knew he, who he was. Jesus wanted to test his disciples to see where they were at, to see what they thought of him to see if they knew his true identity. And also to see if they knew about his deity. Let's look at their response at whom men did say about Jesus. They said that some say that he was John the Baptist. Some say that he is Elijah. And some say that he was Jeremiah, or one of the prophets? Was their answers, were their answers correct? Were they even close to being correct? Think about it a little bit. In Luke 9, Herod thought that John the Baptist had risen from the dead when he heard about the things that Jesus was doing. In Malachi, it talks about how Elijah will come. So maybe they thought, that Jesus was the Elijah that was going to come before the Messiah would come. He was also doing miracles, just like Elijah had done. Jesus was a good teacher. He proclaimed the truth to the people. Not only did he proclaim truth, but also judgment, just like Jeremiah did, and also the prophets. So was what the people thought, was that correct? I would say, no, it was not, and it wasn't even close. When these people were saying that Jesus was these other men, what were they saying? All that they were saying was is that he was a good man. He was just a man that followed God. These people were also denying 
that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God that came down in the flesh. And they refused to believe that Jesus was that Messiah. When Jesus asked the disciples who men thought that he was, the disciples didn't even mention one time that there were some people who thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They all had other opinions about him. How sad is that? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. There were many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that pointed that Jesus was the Messiah, that, he had, that they had been waiting for and longing for. But yet, they just picked him out as a good man, as just one of the prophets. There are many people who try to make Jesus into everything else than what he actually is. The question is, but whom do you say that I am? Was Jesus asking this question just to Peter? I believe that this was a question not just to Peter, but to all of the disciples. The word ye that we see in um, verse 15 is not directed just to one person, but is in a plural form. All the disciples needed to answer the question for themselves. But we see that Peter is the first one to answer. When we think about this question, it is the most important question that Jesus asked his disciples that day. And this question is not only for the 12 disciples to answer, but we need to answer the question as well. Who is Jesus to me? You know, it is not just what everyone else thinks that Jesus is that is important, but who do I say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? We can listen to people all around us and agree with all the good things they say about who Jesus is. But the question still lies. Who is Jesus to you in your personal life? Is he just a good person? Or is he more than that? Let's look at what Peter says. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to tear this phrase apart a little bit. Let's look at the word Christ. Christ means anointed. One who is anointed, or another way that we can say is one who is chosen, the chosen one. To be anointed, it was the outward ritual of anointing with oil, which signified the choice of God, the calling of God and the endowment of power for the particular work one was called to do. God is the one who was anointed, who anointed Jesus. He was the one who sent him to the earth. I'm going to read a verse from, verses from Acts 10, 37 and 38 that speak how God anointed Jesus. And this is Peter speaking to um, Cornelius, sorry. And it goes like this, That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about 
doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So here we see that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. In the Bible, there are different times where people were anointed. Um, it was when they became priests, prophets, and kings. <clears throat> when the priests, prophets, and the kings were anointed in the Old Testament, it pointed to the future when the Messiah would come and fulfill all those rules. Jesus was chosen, was called to do all three of those things. Um, the call of the high priest in Hebrews 2, 5 to 6, it says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the verse about Jesus chosen about being a prophet, there are, were, there are some verses in Deuteronomy 18 that tells us that Jesus was will be a prophet. But in Isaiah 61, 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good news, the good tidings unto the meek. And to be a prophet and to preach is kind of the same thing. Also, um, Jesus chosen to be the king. John 18, 37, it says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. Okay, the next phrase um, that I want to tear into a little bit about Peter's statement is the son of the living God. The son of the living God. When Peter called Jesus the son of God, he was indicating that Jesus, who was on the earth with his disciples, was God's son. And also this same Jesus who is walking on the earth who said that he was the son of God is also the son of Mary. One born to Mary, the son of man. And Jesus calls himself the same son of man in verse 13. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. A, might, a great, mighty, all-powerful God is with the disciples that day. And is also with us. Because he is the son of God, he has the same nature as God. And I think it's hard for us to totally grasp the fact that Jesus, who was God, lived here on the earth. Uh, but this statement about what Peter said about Jesus, that, he, that Jesus is the son of the living God, that statement got Jesus killed. Matthew 26, 63 to 66, it is said, it's the time of the Jesus trial. And the high priest answered and said unto, thee, unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What father need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard this, his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Because of what Jesus said, the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy. Not only is he the Son of God, 
He is the son of the living God. All the religions in the world have a God who is dead. People are following after a dead God. Christianity, though, has a God that is alive. He is full of life. And because our God is alive, we can have a relationship with him. We are communicating with a living God, not one who is dead. And because of us communicating with God, because he's alive, he can speak to us. And we, through his word, the scriptures. And as we're reading through the scriptures, we can have new meaning, even though we've read them many times. And I think that new, when we new, learn new truth, that blesses us. And that, what a blessing it is that Peter adds in his confession, the living God, that we can know for certain that what we serve is living. The next word I want to tear into or talk a little bit about is the word the. I think this word is an important word in this statement. And we see that Peter uses the word the three times. Peter could have said in his statement is, Thou art a Christ, a son of a living God. I think there's a big difference between the statement I just made and the statement that Peter actually made in verse 16. This big difference that we, that we see makes Christianity very difficult for some people to accept. They say that Christianity is intolerant because it narrows down to one person that we need to believe, or that is the Messiah. But we know that God invites all men to him through Jesus Christ. There is no one left out. It is very tolerant indeed to all men. So what does the word the mean compared to the word a? The word the speaks of only one of whatever thing you're talking about. So in Peter's statement, he's saying that there is only one Christ, one Son of the living God, and he was speaking about Jesus. When you, when you use the word A, you're implying that there are more options. In other words, you're saying that there could be more than one Christ, and there could be more than one Son of the living God. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This verse speaks of only one way. There's only one truth, and there's only one way to have life. And there's no way to come to the Father except through Jesus. And there's other verses in the Bible that point, pinpoint that Jesus is the only Messiah sent from God. And I think this is what Peter was saying when he said the statement that he did. So with um, the confession that Peter had, what did it do for him? I think this confession which, which he made is one that brings and confirms the new birth in Peter's life. He was born again. 
He recognized who the Messiah was that was sent from God, and he believed that Jesus was that man. We too need to recognize and believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he was the one sent by God. And we too will be born again. If we fall short of that, we are lost. We are without God. We won't make it to heaven. The gospel message is so simple. Let's not complicate it. There's other verses that speak of what I just got done saying about um, believing in him. And and there's a list of verses here. I'm going to just quick go down through and read them. I think they're very important verses. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 5.1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Romans 10.9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him up, raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the next verse that I'm going to share is, is one verse that will show us if we have the true Holy Spirit in our life or not. Uh, 1 John 4, 2. Hereby know, you, know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And the last verse here is 1 John 4.15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he is God. The word confess means to agree with God about something. Here we are agreeing along with God that Jesus is the Son of God. Now let's go to the flip side. Some verses that speak about those who do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And I just have a few verses here. 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that right. Every, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. When the spirit within us does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It is not of God. And has the spirit of Antichrist, one who is against God and one who is an enemy of God. In the next verse, 1 John 2, 22 and 23. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is, the, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth, not acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. In this verse, the person that denies that Jesus is Christ is called a liar. He is a false and faithless man. And again, he is called Antichrist. We can see how serious it is on what we believe about Jesus Christ. Let's make the same statement that Peter makes from our heart. I'm going to look at Jesus' response to Peter's answer. He calls him blessed. 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. The word blessed means happy. Happy art thou, Simon Barjona. The ones who are blessed are only those who are born again. Why was Peter blessed? Peter was blessed because the statement that he made about Jesus was revealed to him by God. It was not revealed to him by the fallible and feeble man that Peter was or that any human being is. It is God who revealed who Jesus was to Peter. He made known to Peter what was hidden from him to see or what was unknown to him. Peter did not learn it on his own. He didn't somehow gather that information on his own. He didn't pull that information from his brain somewhere. But it was God who revealed it. Matthew eleven twenty five. it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Truth is always hidden from the professing wise men who reject it because of their self-conceit and pride. On the flip side, truth is always revealed to the simple who accept and obey it. So we can ask a question, who reveals about who Jesus is to us as Christians? We don't gather that information from our brains. Peter's statement is not made known to us by our feeble, fallible self. Just look at the public's opinion in Jesus' day. They were not able to figure it out who Jesus was. The one who reveals about who Jesus is to us as Christians is God. God is the one who revealed it to us. He is the one who makes it known to us. Let's look at the two rocks that we see in verse 18. The first rock that we see is Peter. Peter in the Greek is Petros, his name. In 1 John 1.42, it tells us that Peter's name means a stone. This stone is referred to a, as a small stone, like a little pebble, and also is one that is able to be moved. But if you think about a small stone, it is also hard and firm. Even though Peter failed so many times, and he denied Jesus three times during his trial, he was influential in the, in the book of Acts. Peter preached the gospel message boldly. Even in spite of opposition and imprisonment, he kept on preaching. He was firm with what he believed. There was nothing that was going to break his belief apart. The reason that he was so firm with his belief is because of what of like he said in Second Peter, he was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. Peter knew who Jesus was. He was a Messiah sent from God. Peter heard the teachings of Jesus. He saw the deaf hear, the blind see, the cripple walk, the dead rise again, the demons cast out, the storm being, being calm. 
he also saw Jesus die on the cross and buried in the tomb. And then he saw three days later the resurrected body of Jesus. And Peter saw how Jesus ascended up into heaven. The apostles preached over and over again about the death and resurrection of the Messiah. Let's look at what it says about this rock. This rock in the Greek is a little different than Peter's name. It is Petra. The meaning of Petra is a large stone. It is an immovable stone. And we see that it is on this rock that the church will be built. So who is this rock? Who is it referring to? Is it referring to Peter? The Catholics would believe that this stone, this Petra, is referring to Peter. But let's look at what Peter has to say about that. In 1 Peter 2, 6-8, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is a precious, but unto them which... Be disobedient of the stone which the builders disallowed. The same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. In verse 6, um, this verse comes from Isaiah 28. And in that chapter, it is the Lord God who is the chief cornerstone. Also, Ephesians 2 20 to 22. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles in Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. In this chapter, it tells us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, or is Petra. On this rock, the church is built. I want to look a little bit about the church. This is the first time that the word church is mentioned in the Bible. The word church means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. It is an assembly. And this word church could also be used in a secular term in the Bible times. Well, like I said, this is the first time that church is mentioned in the Bible. But in the Old Testament, they use other words with the same meaning, like congregation, assembly, gather the people together. In the New Testament, it was a gathering together of Christians, just like we are doing today. There are two types of church that the New Testament talks about there is the local church, Weavertown Church, which is a picture, a picture of the greater church where all Christians in the world are a part of one who will one day gather around the throne of God. What is meant that Jesus will build his church on the rock of Petra? I believe that this I believe this all connected with Peter's confession in verse 16. 
Well, and that statement is what the church is built on, the statement that he made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When the church is built outside of that confession, all that it is made up is a building filled with people being entertained to satisfy their fleshly desires. It is not the look of the church and the amount of people that attend there that will tell us if it is a true church or not. The question is, what do they preach about? Whom do they confess that Jesus is? Is Jesus, who is Jesus to them? This is a challenge for me as a pastor to keep on preaching about Jesus. Jesus as a Messiah sent from God. And I ask that you pray for not only me, but for each one of us pastors that we can be faithful in that. Back in Ephesians, it says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Then it says that those who are members of the household of God, that is us, we are built on the apostles and the prophets who are built on Jesus. If we wouldn't have the apostles preaching in the book of Acts, or also the word of the Lord through the prophets, the world and we would know nothing about Jesus or about salvation. At the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts, it says that the people continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they devoted themselves to the instruction of the apostles. It was from that that the church grew. Jeremiah, you want to give me a tissue? Give me a tissue, please. <laughs> Sorry. So as we are teaching our children, as we lead out in Bible study, devotions, or a Sunday school class, as we preach on a Sunday morning, when we teach or preach about the Messiah, the church is continuing on in the building process. If we don't do it, if we don't proclaim the truth about Jesus, someone else will. How certain will this church be built? Sometimes when we look out in our world, it looks like the church could die. There's so much false teaching going on in the so-called churches. There's so much persecution that Jesus says that I will build my church. Thank you. Oops. Sorry about that. It doesn't say that it might be built or that it depends on what the world does to the church or it depends on if my disciples will preach about Jesus as a Messiah. It says that I will build my church. That is a promise that will not be broken. Jesus knew and told his disciples how the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in the believer's life. And because of the Holy Spirit, the church is growing like a wildfire. It cannot be contained. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit keep preaching the gospel message. 
And that fire is still continuing 2,000 years later. And the church is still being built. Jesus was so certain that the church would be built that even the gates of hell would not stop it. What are the gates of hell? The word hell in the Greek is Hades, which means the realm of the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, who was the chief, who was the chief cornerstone of the church, he broke free from the chains of death. Death could not keep him there. He conquered death. During the time of the early church, when the government officials tried to stop the church and the preaching of the gospel message by persecution, the church just continued to grow and grow. Even today, when a pastor dies, whether it is here at Weavertown or anywhere else, just because that pastor dies, the gospel message doesn't stop. Someone else takes the baton and continues on preaching about the message of Christ. The gates of hell, death, will not stop the church. It goes on. Jesus calls the church my church. Jesus calls Weavertown Church my church. This church here is not Dave Stolzfus's or any of us pastors' church. This church is not the trustees' church. This church is not the group who started Weavertown Church in 1909. This church is Jesus' church. When we think about that, that gives us, it should give us, those who are part of this church, a huge responsibility. What are we portraying to those around us? Who do we say that Jesus is that the world sees? Are we proclaiming the gospel message that Jesus is the Son or is the one whom God sent to the earth? Or are we proclaiming that Jesus was just a good person or a good man? Why does Jesus call the church my church? Because he bought it with his own blood when he died on the cross. Acts 20, 28, it says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Another reason why he calls the church my church is because he is in the midst of his church. Revelation 1, 12, and 13, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden uh, candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. The candlesticks is a reference to the churches. Another reason why he calls us his church is because we are known by him. Jesus says that I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Let's look at the words binding and loosing. And this is maybe a little bit difficult to understand. There's a lot of false information or teaching about these words. But here in this verse, in verse 19, it says, 
that Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. When a person has keys, it gives him the power over that particular thing. For example, I have the keys to my van, and I have power to use it because I can get into the van and drive it away. But if I give my keys to one of you, you now have power to go into my van and drive it away as well. And I think the same is applied here. Jesus is giving Peter and the other disciples the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And not only to these men, I believe, but also to all people who know Jesus as the Messiah. The apostles and us, as we preach the gospel message, we are opening the door to the kingdom of heaven to those who accept it. This gospel message isn't only for the Jews, but is now also for the Gentiles. And we see in the book of Acts that they focus to not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, to all people. The words binding and loosing. The rabbis used this term to bind and to loose to refer to whether something was acceptable or not according to what their law said. The word to bind means to forbid. And the word to loose means to follow, to allow. So how does this fit in with this passage? With what Peter knew about Jesus, he would one day, when the church started, be able to say what is acceptable in the church and what is not acceptable. And his decision that is made when he decides what is acceptable and not acceptable is a decision that has already been decided in heaven. In other words, heaven has already bounded and loosed before Peter did. When Peter or us bind or loose, we do it in agreeing with heaven. So what are we permitting into our church? What are we allowing into our church? Or what, as a church, are we against? What do we toss out? What we do in our church does align up with what Peter confessed Jesus to be. And I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves um, as a group. Do we allow things in our church to line up with the statement of what Peter made? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So to whom, whom do you say that Jesus is? Is your mind, or in your mind, is he the true Jesus? Is he the Messiah that was sent from God? Is he the one who is not only the Savior of the world, but is he the Savior in your own life, in your own personal life? What are you building on? Is it Jesus the Messiah who is your foundation? Or are you building on another gospel that denies Jesus for who he is? We can be part of the true foundation that is sure, that is strong, and that will endure. All we need to do is to trust in Him, believe in Him, and we will never be shaken or collapsed because of some hardship that comes our way. Let's trust and rest in Jesus. Let's kneel to pray.